This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the first ever Mr. D Math podcast. I'm so glad you're here and so glad you took your time out of your day to tune in and listen to the Mr. D Math podcast. My name is Dennis Denoya, and I am the creator of Mr. D Math. That's where the D came from, my first and last name. Students had trouble saying Denoya, so we always went with Mr. D. So just to give you the 10 second blurb about me, uh, I write math curriculum. I write curriculum from pre-algebra to pre-calculus, and I've been in education for almost 30 years now. And now the opportunity to come to you right in your home, whether you're listening to this in your car or you're listening it together with your young people, maybe you're out on a walk, Wherever that is, thank you for taking the time to tune in and listen to the first ever Mr. D Math podcast. Now you may be thinking to yourself, well, Mr. D Math, is this all gonna be about math? A lot of it's gonna be about math, but I'm gonna bring in, as you saw on the tagline, Mr. D Math and more. So we're gonna be talking about not just math, but all kinds of trends in education, things that you can do with your young people that not only relate to math, but relate to how to have your homeschool experience be the best it can be. I'm gonna give you all the experience I have as a classroom teacher, as a curriculum writer, as someone who teaches distance learning. I do online classes and my students are all over the United States, even some of them are outside the United States now. And not only that, we homeschool our own children. So guess what? We're gonna bring it all and bring it to you week after week right here on the Mr. D Math and More podcast series. Okay, let's get going. Today I am gonna talk about math and how I'm going to work with today is this, is how to think and talk math. Now you may be saying to yourself, how to think and talk math? There's a way to think math, there's a way to talk math. Yeah, let's think about that for a second because we're gonna actually get in and look at how do you think and talk math? So let's get started. So I'm gonna ask you this question. Before we actually discover how you think and talk math, let's create a little background. So here's my first question for you. What languages do you speak? Now you notice you go, what languages do I speak? What do you mean what languages do I speak? Well, I speak English, I speak a little Spanish, maybe some French, maybe some Mandarin Chinese, but if you notice, those are the languages that you would say that you speak when that's a pretty normal question to ask. However, if you've ever taken a look at the definition of a language, what you'll find out is that there's many other things just besides the spoken language that actually could be languages. Math is one of them. Engineering is another. History is another. The language of love. All of those things could be considered language if you apply the definition to what a language is. What am I talking about? Well, let's actually come up with what is the definition of a language? Now I looked it up on Google so you know it has to be true. Okay, so here it is. A definition of a language is this. It's a systematic means of communicating by the use of sounds or conventional symbols. Now you might be saying to yourself, really? A systematic means of communicating by the use of sounds or conventional symbols. And I know as you're listening to the podcast that you can't see those words. So I'm gonna go through this a word at a time in this definition. A systematic. So think about math. Is math a system? Well, of course it's a system. There's a set of rules for how you do things. It's systematic. You're doing an algebra problem. Well, you undo what's being done to the variable. You're doing a working with fractions and you need to find a common denominator. There's a system to math. When you add, you do one thing. When you multiply, you do another. When you divide, you do another. But is it a means of communicating? And when you're communicating, are you using sounds or conventional symbols? Well, think about this. I'm gonna use my system to communicate with you right now. Here it comes, are you ready? Five plus five, and you're thinking to yourself, 10. And then if you notice, I said five plus five, you said 10. 
I didn't say, hey, add those together. I didn't say anything about the plus sign or the plus as a word. You just knew five plus five is 10. Okay, so we use symbols and sounds. If you saw that in symbols, you would see five and a little plus sign and another five. You would still say 10, but I use sounds because my sounds are five plus five. And you hear that and you say, oh, I know that's 10. You want me to add. So we're communicating. I'm saying something, you're interpreting, you're responding, and we're agreeing on the conversation. Simple enough. You can apply that to almost anything to see does it fit as a language. If it does, treat it like one. How do you learn languages? Well, you got to learn the words in a language, right? If you're learning a brand new language, like maybe you're learning Spanish for the first time, and you think about the words, and you learn how to count in Spanish, and you're like uno, dos, tres, cuatro, and off you go. You're learning colors where you're learning Blanco and Verde and all the other colors that are out there in Spanish. And I, my Spanish isn't the greatest, so that's about, I'll give you as much as I know. Okay, so, but think about this. It's a systematic means of communicating by the use of sounds or conventional symbols. That is definitely what a language is. So let's think about that for a second, because here's what I think happened. Because people say, well, how come we didn't do this all the time? Because what I think happened is this. If you took a circle and put it to your left side, over your left shoulder, and put the English language in that circle, and I said to you, where would you put the Spanish language? Well, you certainly wouldn't put it in the English language. You'd probably say, no, I'll put a circle over my right shoulder and I'll put Spanish in that, in that circle. Makes sense. But think about where do we put math? Well, we stick math in either the English language or the Spanish language, depending on what language we speak, so that that's how we're going to interpret things. I'll tell you a little story. I visited Spain a few times and I went and I visited when I was in Spain, I went to a class and I sat in, in a classroom where it was all in Spanish. The teacher spoke Spanish, the students spoke Spanish, and here's Mr. D with my very limited Spanish, and they were writing things on the board. Now, as they were writing things on the board, I knew exactly what they were doing. Why? Because of the symbols they were using. It gets even better. The teacher asked me if I wanted to go over and help a student. Now, how she asked me was she nodded her head and moved it to the left over towards a student who was having problems. So I took that as the communication, go work with that student. So I did. I sat down and I said to the student, do you speak English? And she looked at me and she just shook her head, no. And she said to me, habla espanol. I said, eh, un poquito, just a little. But we sat down and we worked it out anyway. Now, if you think about that, how did we work out the problem anyway? Because the symbols were the same. It's a universal language because math is its own language. Let's put that circle right over our heart. There we go. Now we love math. That's a beautiful thing. Okay, so there's an English language. There's a Spanish language. There's an English language. How about this? What if there's dog language? Do you have a dog? If you do, maybe you know about your dog is kind of like this. Think of your dog's name is Skipper. And you say, okay, Skipper, today we are going to the park. Are you ready to go? Now, if you say that to Skipper, Skipper doesn't hear everything that you said. Skipper hears a few key words, like his name, Skipper. Say your dog's name. Your dog looks up at you and they get those funny eyes and they start to smile, their ears start to wiggle, their tail wags, and they say, oh, you're talking to me. Today, we are going to the park. Well, Skipper knows the word park, but he doesn't know all that stuff in between. And so now he knows you're talking to him. You've talked about park, he likes the park but it's not the magic word yet. The magic word isn't, are you ready? The magic word is go. So I say to Skipper, Skipper, today we're going to the park. Skipper hears this, Skipper hears, Skipper hears his name. And then when I say today we are going to, he doesn't know what that means. He hears blah, 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 blah. And then he hears park and now he's excited. But then he hears more blah, 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 blah. And now he gets really excited because he hears the word go and he knows now it's time to go. 
Well, what if math was a lot like that? What if we say, could say that listening and reading and decoding math is a lot like dog language? Not every word in that spoken language has a meaning to a dog in dog language. Well, the same is true about math. Not every word in your English spoken language has a meaning in math language. We're going to do some work with that during this podcast. Get ready. Here we go. I'm going to read a story problem to you. And you're like going, are you kidding me? I'm driving my car right now. Don't give me a story problem to do. I can't do those things. Or I'm walking, trying to relax. I'm with my kids. Oh, what if I can't do it? Oh, my goodness. I'll be embarrassed. No worries. I'm going to teach you right now, talk you through how to do this. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. And then I'm going to ask you to stop doing that because it doesn't work. Listen to this. Mara has a reading project due in five days. She needs to read 180 more pages to finish her book and then she can create her project. If she's already read 100 pages, how many pages will she read altogether? Now, if I just read that to you as I did, you're probably saying, okay, first of all, Mr. D, you talk way too fast, so slow down. Well, even if I slow down, it's still not gonna make any sense because watch this, I'm gonna slow down. Mara has a reading project due in five days your first mind goes right to, oh my gosh, she has a, who's Mara? Wait, she has a reading project? It's due in five days? Oh, five days, that's not enough time to get a reading project done. Notice all of the things that you add to the conversation, all that you're thinking about as you hear the problem. She needs to read 180 more pages to finish her book. She's gotta do that in five days, she'll never get that done. Now notice I didn't say that, you made that part up or I made that part up for you. Then she can create her project. She has a project to do plus read the book. Oh my gosh. She's got to read the pages and create her project all in five days. It'll never happen. Or maybe it will happen. Or maybe she's a great reader. I hope she likes the book. Notice all the things we add to the information. If she's already read 100 pages, how many pages will she read altogether? Oh my goodness. Now I'm going to read it again, even slower. Ready? Mara has a reading project due in five days. She needs to read 180 more pages to finish her book, and then she can create her project. If she's already read 100 pages, how many pages will she read altogether? Now, even that I've read that three or four times now, you're probably thinking, I have no idea. So here's what we're going to do. Are you ready? I'm going to ask you to do this. When you read a story problem and do this with your young people, and it takes some practice, but once you practice this, you'll be so good at it and so happy you do it this way. Start with the question. By the way, you're going to notice that your mind does something completely different when you start with the question. The question is this, how many pages will she read altogether? Now, if I just said that to you and I said, hey, how many pages are you going to read altogether? Well, you're thinking, hmm, well, I wonder how many pages did I already read and maybe I've got to read some more or I read some, I read some on Tuesday, I read some on Wednesday. How many did I read altogether? When I say how many pages will she read altogether, you've probably already guessed that you're going to be doing some addition. What are you going to be adding? Well, you're going to be adding pages. If I go back to the beginning of the problem and it says this, Mara has a reading project due in five days. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with pages. I don't even need that information. She needs to read 180 more pages. Ooh, she's going to read 180 more pages. Okay, well, she hasn't read that yet. She needs to do that. Okay, fine. What else? Well, she's going to finish her book and create her project. Okay, again, blah, 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 blah. Ah, here we go. She already read 100 pages. Oh, okay, she already read 100, she needs to read 180 more. How many will she read altogether? You probably guessed it, 280 pages, just like that. How did that work? Because I started at the end. How many pages does she read altogether directs the mind on a command which creates calculations and the brain doesn't make up drama and stories and, and opinions about it. The mind and the brain actually goes to work on, well, how do I, I need some information, how do I do that? So start at the end, find the question. 
Once you find the question, you can get to the answer, just like that. Let's give a quick shout out to our first sponsor ever of the Mr. D Math and More podcast. I'm talking about Mary Prather. Who's Mary, you ask? Well, I'm gonna tell you. Mary Prather, first of all, is just an extraordinary human being. Secondly, she's a professional educator. She has a bachelor's degree in music, a master's degree in educational leadership and supervision. She has been in education almost all of her life. And on top of that, guess what? She's a homeschool mom, she's a wife, she's a mom, she's amazing. How about all that, all at one time? She has a website, it's called homegrownlearners.com. That's plural, there's an S on the end, so make sure you check out homegrownlearners.com. And she also creates curriculum. Guess what, her curriculum is about music. She created a music appreciation curriculum for young people. It's called SQUILT. SQUILT stands for the Super Quiet Uninterrupted Listening Time. It's designed to bring quality music into your homeschool program or your classroom or right into your home. It's easy, it's affordable, it's enjoyable. Check it out, homegrownlearners.com. And again, Mary Prather, she's awesome. I've met her, I've had a chance to spend time with her, her family, her daughter does one of my math programs. I can't say enough great things about this family, which is how I got to know her. And now, I'm so delighted that she gets to be a sponsor. Homegrownlearners.com. Now, let's get back to some more math. We're talking about math as a language, how to think and talk math. Now, by the way, at the end of this podcast, I'm gonna tell you how you can get a whole created math common language from me. I'm gonna send it to you via email. It's really easy, you can print it out. And I created this math common language for a charter school in Hawaii where I was asked to come in and work with the school on their standardized testing. And one of the things we found out was that the school needed to work with the students who were having trouble reading, reading the math words. So we created a school-wide common language that went from grades three all the way up to 12 and they posted it right in the rooms. It was so fun to walk into the classroom and see all the different sheets that we had created on the wall. Of course, they were all pretty flowers and things like that, so it was nice, it was very Hawaiian looking. What I'm gonna send to you is not quite so Hawaiian looking, but you'll like it. All right, so I'll tell you how to get that at the end. And as a matter of fact, let me tell you a little bit about that so we can go right to it. Now again, notice what I'm talking about is I'm talking about how to decode and take apart problems, story problems, so that when you see that, you can start to think and talk math. Remember, treat it like a dog language. Just learn the words you need to know, and once you learn the words you need to know, it makes the math problem so much easier. The trick is what? Finding out which words mean math and which words don't. So, where I'm gonna start here, as we wrap up with the podcast for our very first podcast ever, is working with my math common words. The very first word I'm gonna send to you is a word called operation. Now, if you think about it and I say to you, are there operations in math? And you might say, yeah, of course, there's operations. Well, there's add, subtract, multiply, divide. There's even more, but those are the four basic ones that we work with. But if I said to you, what's the definition of an operation? You may not know. Again, how do we get definitions? Well, definitions are either made up or we Google them. But guess what? Even if you Google them, someone else made them up. So we create the definition that actually works over time. You can use it. There's not gonna be any counterexamples that show that it's false. It's always going to work. That's what creates the definition. So think about an operation. It's an action or a procedure that produces something, a lot like a doctor would do. But if students start to know, young people understand that operations produce something, that means you're doing something, you're taking an action, and now you're going to get something for your work. That's what an operation is. So if they notice that they're doing something that produces something, they're creating and working with an operation. Now that's pretty straightforward, but check this out. I'm gonna ask you a question now that you're probably not going to know the answer to, and 
think that you should. Now, by the way, how do I know that? Well, because I travel all over the United States to homeschool conventions. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of teachers across the US and I've worked with thousands of students. And when I ask this question, every time, 100%, the answer comes up, they don't know. Are you ready? You're like going like, Mr. D, really? You're gonna ask me a question telling me that I already don't know the answer? Well, that's not even fair. Well, where do you hear the question? It's worse than that because you're going to think that you do. Here it comes. What is the definition of addition? Really, that's what I'm asking. How do you define addition? Now, not how do you do addition. I know you know how to add already, but can you define it? And what you're going to notice is that you start taking apart the words that mean something in math and get the definition, a whole world opens up for you, especially in this definition of addition. Check it out. Let me give you the popular answers I get when I'm traveling and on the road and asking young people and their parents, what's the definition of addition? And they say something like, well, it's when you combine two things to create a new sum. Well, that sounds kind of cool, but that's not actually what it is. Somebody else says, well, take things and put them together so that you can get something bigger than what you had before. Okay, but if you're adding a positive and a negative number, maybe it's gonna be smaller. And do I really have to put things together? Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, I, I'm actually thinking about this and what I'm drawing is a big blank. I don't know what the definition is. So now you're thinking to yourself, I hope he's gonna tell us. Well, of course I'm gonna tell you, but I'm also gonna send it to you as well. So let's see if we can discover it as opposed to me just telling you, let's discover it. Here's how it works, are you ready? Think of this, if I took two pencils and I put them on my left side and I took four pencils and put them on my right side, and I said to you, how many pencils do I have? And you would say, well, you've got two and you've got four, you've got six. Right, so think about this though. Did I take the two pencils on my left and my four pencils on my right? Did I put them together so that I could get a new sum? No, did I combine them so I could get a new sum? No, what did I do? Now, you may say, well, I just saw them and I could just see that that's what there were six, but that's not actually what happened. Actually, what happened was something different. And if you ask young children, first graders, second graders, they'll tell you exactly what happened. And you say, well, how do you know there's six pencils there? And they take their fingers and they start pointing at each one and they go, well, let me just show you. One, two, three, four, five, six. They counted them. That's actually what addition is. It's counting things. But what kind of things? Because if I took two pencils on the left side and four pencils on the right side, I've got six pencils. But now if I have two pencils on the left side and four water bottles on the right side and I say to that same first or second grader, well, what do I have now? And they say, well, Mr. D, that's still easy. You've got two pencils and four water bottles. Oh, why can't I say six? And they say, because they're not the same. Aha, so the definition of addition is simply counting things that are the same. That's it. So now think about some fractions. Are you ready? If you said, and you were working with your young people on adding fractions, You've probably said this to him before. If you're gonna add fractions, you have to have a common denominator. The most common response to you saying to your young people, you need a common denominator is, but why do I need a common denominator? And the next most common response to telling young people about why they need a common denominator after you show them how to do it is you say, because, well, that's what you're supposed to do when you add fractions. And they look at you and they go, oh, okay, and off they go. But what if we could really tell them why? So let's use the definition of addition, counting things that are the same. If I said to you that I wanted to add one half and one fourth, well, you can't do it because they're not the same. Okay, but what if I said this? What if I said to you that you wanna add two fourths and one fourth, and you go, oh, well, I can do that. I've got three fourths. Hmm, 
So what is it that you're counting? You're counting the denominators. You're counting the fourths, which is why you don't actually add the denominators. You do two-fourths plus one-fourth. Oh, I see one-fourth. I see two-fourths. I see one more fourth. I have three-fourths. We're counting things that are the same. Now, there's a lot more to that, but can you imagine when a young person sees one over x plus one over y, and they go, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to do that? Well, if we could get them to be the same, we can count them. We do that when we teach young people, even in pre-algebra, how to do something like that. Pretty amazing that they can do it. They love it because they're going like, I'm doing college math, and they are. Okay, so what I'm going to do in the common words is give you not only the definition of addition, but I'm going to give you words that mean addition. So you can see that. I'm going to give you words that mean subtraction and the definition of subtraction. And you'll be surprised about the definition of subtraction and what it really means. The definition of multiplication and words that mean multiply. The definition of division and the words that mean divide. What words mean equal and what words mean not equal or inequalities. I'll leave you with this. Are you ready? Let's say that your young people are getting ready to go to the movies. And before they go to the movies, they always have to do this one last thing. Probably you might uh, be familiar with this. The young people, before they head to the movies, they always have to visit the bank of mom before they go, or maybe the bank of dad, whichever way that works. But they've got to stop in and take that withdrawal out so they can go to the movies. So they come to you, the bank of mom, and you go, okay, you're going to the movies, and here's what they say. I need at least $20 to go to the movies. And you say, really, at least $20? How about at most I'll give you is $20? And they say, okay, fine. Now, what are they saying? They're talking math. They're saying at least $20 means I want $20 or more. And you say, oh, no, no, no. And you'll get up to $20, but no more than $20. So here's a fun game you can play with your young people. Young people, if you're listening, be ready. They say to you, mom, I need at least $20 to go. And you say, I'll give you at most $20 and get them to agree to that and then hand them a dollar and tell them to figure out why what you did was exactly what you said. You might have to play this back again just to hear that part one more time. I hope you do. Okay, so now how do you get my math common words? It's as easy as this. I'm gonna have you send me an email. My email address is dennis at mrdmath.com. D-E-N-N-I-S at mrdmath.com. It's M like Mary, R like Robert, D like David, and then math, M-A-T-H.com. Say it one more time. Dennis at MrDMath.com, D-E-N-N-I-S at M-R-D-M-A-T-H.com. You can also visit me online at www.MrDMath.com as well. I have to tell you, I hope that you had as much fun listening to this as I did making it for you today. And I look forward to a long relationship of podcasting with you and your family. So have a great day. And here's to all of your success in math and your entire life. Have a great one. See you next time. I'm Mr. D signing off. Bye-bye. This is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.